Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. Good evening. Apologies for the delay. Things always happen when I'm with Bailey. I think they happen when the world's with Bailey. I was in Arles with him once and people, mainly women, but men as well, seem to want them to sign parts of their anatomy. Tonight we got stuck in a lift, I kid you not, at the Royal Academy. We were that far down and Bailey was the calmest man there. It's 15 minutes of waiting while the door was wrenched open. Anyway, um, I, I didn't know where I was going to start tonight because the occasion... Late. Is, late. The, the occasion is... Portraiture broadly, we have a Hockney portrait show on. Bailey's also just been scanned by the Veronica scanner, more of which later. So I thought I might go in with Hockney, but actually, I just remembered, Bailey, as we were staggering over here, that you met Dali, Salvador Dali, in a lift. In a lift. <laughs> Things happen. How did that come about? I mean, and where was it? 62 in New York, from Regis Hotel. I got in the lift, and there was a, I didn't know who he was. Funny looking geezer with a, he had an umbrella with a propeller on it. And there was a little naked doll on one propeller and another one on the other propeller. And I said, oh, hi. And he said, uh, would you like to meet my sister, and my, my mother and my sister-in-law? I said, yeah, all right. He said, well, this is my sister-in-law and this is my mother. <laughs> and, so, and then he switched on the button <laughs> and it went round. That, that was the beginning of a wonderful relationship. <laughs> Did, so did he know who you were? I mean, no, that was first no I, nobody knew who I was. I was a, someone from the East End who ended up in New York. But, but you took his photograph? Later, much later, yeah, much later. He was all right. He had a strange wife. She was a trouble. Uh, Gala or somebody. Gala, yeah. Yeah, yeah she was... There's, there's always a monster in there, those guys' lives, isn't there? And she was a bit of a monster. I think Dali was his own monster as well, wouldn't he? I don't know. Dali was... I mean, I never liked his paintings much, they're all right. But, I mean, he's a great draftsman. But Dali was the art himself. He was the art more than the art. I mean, if Jen Coons wanted to make an artist, he'd make a sculpture of Dali, wouldn't he, with a big red nose or something. We're doing a show next year, which, which has just been announced, which is comparing Dali and Duchamp, who were friends and collaborators, as well as seemingly poles apart. Did, I, I never knew, did you know Duchamp? No, I knew his wife. I... <laughs> You, you knew many people's wives, but... No, no, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was with her with John Cage, you know, the, the guy they were playing chess. And she said, would you like a game of chess? I said, yeah, all right, you know, up for anything. I mean, and I won by mistake. I mean, it really was a mistake because she was like a master. And she said, can we play again? I said, oh, I only play once a day, you know, I can't... <laughs> She was great. It was in her apartment, I think, in New York. I was doing a film on Andy, I think, yeah. You make art. I mean, you've talked in the past about your compulsion to paint, make collages and, and so on. Um, was, was art important to you as a kid growing up? It was the only thing I could do, you know, being dyslexic and dyspractic and dysfunctional. Uh, it was... Uh, you know, I don't think people become artists because they're dyslectic, they become artists for lack of choice, because you haven't got much choice, really. If it's visual, you can do it. If it's not visual, you're sort of driving a one-on-one bus. 
Yeah, yeah I, t I tend not to put that to the members of the Royal Academy, but it is an interesting... <laughs> <laughs> but, but you've said before that you were kind of dismissed, you were put in the kind of thicko set because you, you, you were dyslexic, and so art was a kind of... Oh, I was in the out. city class at school, not that it was real school. But, yeah, I was in the city class, but I was top of the city class. I figured it's better to be top of the city class than bottom of the smart class. What, what was the attitude amongst your schoolmates or the people that you oh, they, grew up they, with? They, and they said, they, no, but towards art. Oh, there was no such thing as art. I mean, you didn't know. I didn't even know. Until I met... I, all my mates were either Irish or Jewish, because my dad was a tailor, and in East End, everyone was Irish. And, uh, in fact, they've been Jewish and Irish all my life. Donovan and Duffy, but they're both dead now. Uh, what was the question? About, the, uh, about art in the East End, you said there was no... No, it's not big in the East End. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is now. It's full of artists. Yeah, but that's all... Uh, that's uh, another story. <laughs> 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 no, it was good. It was good. There was no, no... But, so how, but what... I found out about art school from the Jewish guy, because he'd been to art... He was much older. He was about five years older than us. And... Uh, Actually, I met his brother. His brother was a bit of a gangster, but he wasn't. He played... Uh, he wanted to be Barney Kessel. He was a great guitar player. And he painted, rather, in sort of John Bradby-type painting. And uh, not much more to the story than that, really. <laughs> Didn't he introduce you to Picasso, not literally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he said... Uh, he taught me all about art. If it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't have known. I didn't know who Picasso was. Couldn't even say it. Uh, that's all. He, he just... He was just... He, he was from Whitechapel. I mean, he's very kosher, his family, but he wasn't kosher. But, uh, you know, the Jews are always intellectual. They always want to find out things, don't they? There's a really um, extraordinary self-portrait you made when you were in national service in Singapore, where there's you looking pretty good, it has to be said. Um, so I think there's an element of, of uh, uh, understandable vanity in the picture. But there you are with your shirt off, sitting on your bed. But the most telling thing is behind, there's a poster yeah. by Picasso of, of Jacqueline in a Turkish costume from the, from the Women of Algiers Algier, series he did in, 50, yeah. uh, in 1956. Um, what, how did that all come about? I mean, I wouldn't imagine that other people were having kind of Picasso... No, they all had uh, Titbits. There was a paper called Titbits. I bet some of you guys remember Titbits, don't you? There was uh, <laughs> old Hockney looking at me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Titbits, it was, uh, you could get a pull-out of Bridget Bardo, life-size, if you want, but they all had Titbits and nothing. I just thought I preferred the Delacroix-looking painting better than Titbits. And, and what was the response of your fellow National Service? Um... Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> and your response to that was? Piss off. I'm David Bailey. <laughs> you, um, you never met Picasso. Was that no, a no. Was that a possibility? Yeah, yeah, I could. I was in French Vogue asked me a couple of I didn't want to meet him. He was, I was a bit scared, to be honest, because he'd had such an influence. When I saw his stuff, it changed my life, really. Not, not the actual... Not so much the painting, more the attitude. You know, it's like this. I sort of suddenly realised that... Bicycle wheel doesn't have to be round if you don't want it to be round. I mean, that's what he taught me. He taught me there was no, uh, no rules, really. Uh, do you regret... You, I mean, you want some, you, 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 one of your mottos was never have regrets, but do you regret not photographing Picasso? No, it might have spoiled it. I might have walked in and he might have sat there and farted. <laughs> Can you imagine how distressing that would have been? <laughs> 
I think from Picasso that would have been fine, wouldn't it? Some of those late works. <laughs> well, if he signed it, it would be all right. <laughs> but there is a late Picasso, one of the very late images where she's, one of the women's lying on the beach pissing, it's called oh, the yeah, new yeah. pissing. Yeah. And I remember when that, show, that late Picasso show was on at the Tate, the euphemisms that were, were, were just around the description of that piece, which seemed to imply she, was, she had a sort of upset stomach rather than she was performing a natural bodily function. But anyway, that, that is... No, it. my daughter was four at I took her to that show and she was completely fascinated by the pissing picture. In fact, that's all she remembers about the show, I think. <laughs> But it's a good idea that, you know, she was so... Do you remember, Catherine, how she was mad about pissing Picasso? Pissing Picasso, it's one of course. I've heard him call many things. And now yeah. they all think it's a car. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk about Hockney. Um, he was in your box of pin-ups, which we, in the, in the uh, images we've got, we've got your most recent portrait of Hockney, but... Uh, if I do a demo, it's an amazing picture because he's holding his parka, I think it is, like that. So he fills the frame. Um, was that his gesture or did you ask him to do that? Oh, I don't know. It's sort of... I try to not be there when I take... I try, well, I try to be there, but I try not, the camera not to be there. So that's why I use lots of plate cameras, you know, 5, 4 and 10, 8, because I can still talk to you and not worry about this bloody thing that gets in the way. And... Uh, I don't particularly like photography, it's just... I like it because it's quick. You know, you fuck about with the painting for weeks and it's no good. <laughs> Where a photograph, you think, oh, we'll do another one. <laughs> Yet another thing I will put to the membership of the Royal Academy, <laughs> fuck about with the painting for weeks. Um, so, when, so when you see, for example, that, that early portrait of Hockney, you... You remember not much about it. Certain, certain photographs you can remember the circumstances, others not. Yeah, it was just something that happens. You know, you, you hope for an accident, really. It's sort of... And try and be... The cam make the camera invisible. Then, then you can have a conversation with somebody. Mm. Whereas if they think they've got to look like the back of an author's book, you know, with a sort of that, where their hands... Their head's growing out of their wrists, really, isn't it? Always on the back of those books, you know. Yes, it's the, or this one. Very meaningful, yeah. The ones who think they're doing smart do that. Um, I've never asked you this, actually, but it's not a particularly impressive question either. But and that's why you never asked me. That's why I never asked you. <laughs> um, but when you say I've never asked you this, everyone thinks it's going to be an extraordinary question. But the box of pin-ups, how systematic was it as an idea? Did you suddenly think... I'm going to do David Bailey's box of pinups. Well, had you started making portraits on the side, as it were, while you were earning a living as a fashion photographer, and suddenly it coalesced as an idea to do a book or a book? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Mark, Mark what's his name? Mark, Mark Boxer yes. sort of spotted it. Some people got the 60s that were from the wrong side of the tracks, you know, like Mark Boxer and Arabella Boxer and even George Weinenfeld, because he published it. And they'd been pretty stodgy before. I think that was the first kind of, I don't know. So who were the earliest characters that you photographed it was all, for? It was all together. It was what, so, you a, just lined, so you literally... That was a short period of time. I mean, it was only... I think I did start doing the pictures in 63. By 64, the 60s were sort of over. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, because later, the 60s became a bit ridiculous when... You know it comes ridiculous and when... 
Judy Garland and Sammy Davis turn up on your doorstep. You know it's, you know it's all over the 60s because it's all fake. So artists were central to the vision that you had of that snapshot of a particular generation, the lost generation as it was described, um, but that pivotal generation, the popocracy as George Melly described it. Although you, you were friends with people like Mick, you were photographing the Stones, you were photographing musicians, artists were already part of your landscape. Oh yeah, yeah. There was lots of people, a few uh, street artists. A mad guy lived opposite me, he used to paint. If you left your car outside, he'd paint it. Uh, he's got a daughter now who's um, somebody. You know, the guy who lived opposite who did... Like, the Beatle painted his Rolls Royce, didn't he, one of the Beatles? It was that... I forget his name. Uh, there was lots of interesting people across the road. There was uh, Chris Stamp, you know, who was the Who's manager. And I forget the, his partner, public school boy, nice guy. And they came over one day and had a coffee, and they said, oh, we've got a new group. And they said, it's called The Who. Ah, that's a good name. <laughs> <laughs> How right he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I forget his name. Who is his name? He's a nice guy. That's him, yeah. Who said that? What? Did you say that? No. <laughs> uh, does this thing work? It does, yeah. They can, everyone can hear us. It's just we feel like we're in a call centre, but it is... It is a, it makes um, you feel very unattractive, doesn't it? <laughs> so, even though you can't remember photographing the young Hockney... I don't um, remember it. I do. I remember taking the picture. Well, when did you first meet him? And where? I don't know. There was lots of people around at that time. I mean, he was a bit Chelsea for me. Uh, there was a split, really. There was a sort of... Like, there'd been mods and rockers, and there was, then there was Chelsea and not Chelsea. You know, I hated the King's Road. Uh, so he was a bit more King's Road side. You talked about... Um, you know, he liked all those fashion designers and, and uh, he was great friends with Celia somebody, do you remember? Yeah, Celia. That great yeah. painting Celia he did of Celia and... Yeah, yeah. Celia Burtwell, and he still yeah. painted her in the, in the current I'm show. I'm more friends with him now than I was then. I think we've grown to think each other's all right. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, do you approach photographing artists now in any significant degree of difference to anyone else? I mean, you've no, talked no, about tribes. No, no, no. They're easy artists because they understand what you're trying, trying to do. do something more than just do a sort of silly portrait on digital camera or something, something like that. They're, uh, they, they're on your side. You know, they know... Uh, no, it's easy to photograph somebody who... If you're a vet, it's easier to talk to somebody who's a vet. And if, you, if you're in the art world, they're easier... They don't think it's all a load of bollocks like most people do. Who are the most difficult people to photograph then? Actors. Because you never know who they are. You know, I, <laughs> I used to have a joke with them. Who are you today? Lassie or Hamlet? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> was, you know, you photograph somebody, you realise you're photographing someone from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it must be difficult being an actor because taking on a new personality every six months. It must be very confusing for their wives or their husbands. Maybe it's good fun. <laughs> yes, who would you like me to be today? It, it must be difficult for you to remember exactly how it was when you were an unknown, but I wonder whether work, portraiture in particular, became different 
as you became as celebrated, if not more, than many of the people whose portraits you were making? That became easier because I took more control. You know, the magazines in the beginning, you say, oh, let's see all the contacts. Why isn't somebody laughing? All that kind of nonsense. So towards the six, I said, right, you're just getting my choice now. You're not going to be able to choose some pictures or things. You know, it's better than I do about my picture, then I think that's a crazy situation. I've never understood people like picture editors or even art directors. I mean, art directors are all right on movies because I used to do a lot of live action. In fact, I made more money from directing commercials than I ever did from photography because I couldn't do photography stills because they'd give you a picture and they'd say, can you copy this? And you'd say, well, yeah. <laughs> it's not that difficult, is it? And... Uh, I'd say, but, you know, anyone can do this if you're going to copy it. Whereas with commercials, they give you a script and say, they give it to three or four other people and usually pick the cheapest. And then they'd say, uh, uh, write a synopsis. And I used to do a storyboard. And I used to draw it like it was a Picasso storyboard. In fact, people like my drawings of the storyboard when they like the commercials, I think. But it was, uh, it's easier to, it was easier to make something out of a narrative thing rather than copying a silly picture of vodka or something. Is that why you have produced so many books? It gives you control? Well, no, I'd probably keep a diary if I could spell or, or remember people's names. Uh, I, in fact, I think I've done probably nearly 40 books, but I'd probably... They're like diaries, really. They're like visual diaries. And what about... Photographs displayed, framed on the wall. I'm glad you're dyslexic. You won't be able to read my writing anyway. I can't read my writing, but, um, yeah. It says... God, you liar. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about... Think, what about? I mean, I know it's something you feel strongly about, but we can talk about the difference between, or the boundary blurring between art and photography. But I'm just curious about works or images that you make framed and on the wall? Do they, do they feel different to you when you did your great portrait show at the portrait gallery that toured around? It, it, does the status of, a, of something become different from, from a book or a magazine, or do you see it as the same thing? Well, I see it as the same thing, but other people probably see it differently. Uh, I don't really know what art is. It's sort of a bit like love, isn't it? It's a chemical reaction. Uh, sort of... You know, things that weren't art come art, like Latik, you know, he sort of snaps. Latik was a photographer. Uh, um, he died when he was... A, he was a fantastic man, actually. When he was 96, he used to say to me, you come into my show in two years' time. I thought, well, I am. I'm not sure about you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story about... Who was the, who was the composer who, who wrote Always? Uh, Irving Berlin. Yeah. Right, he wrote a song called oh, I'll Be Loving You Always. And he wanted to buy it because he was making a movie called Always, <laughs> surprisingly enough. And uh, he said, get on to that bloke who wrote Always, I want to buy it. Offer him 200,000. And it came back, no, he's not interested. So he said, all right, offer him 250,000. came back, he's not interested. He said, well, how much do you want? He said, offer him 300,000. And I think Irving Berlin was about 100 at the time. He said, no, I'm not selling it. And he said, can you arrange a meeting between Irving Berlin and me? So he went to meet Irving Berlin. He didn't know who, who uh, Spielberg was, anyway. And uh, he said, Mr Spielberg, you don't understand. I've got plans for that song. <laughs> 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 and it's why those guys live so long. 
Lartique, and, and they're probably up there. He's writing songs for Lartique now. <laughs> was that the answer to your story? It wasn't. I don't remember where it went from, but it did, it did trigger uh, uh, the idea that you're, you're reaching maturity now yourself. Um, I've gone past it, mate. <laughs> I'm in God's waiting room now. Does, I better does, start wearing purple and pink. I tell you, in that, in that lift, it was the rest of us who were going before you. Um, oh, yeah, it was good in the lift. <laughs> it's better than the last show. The last talk I did was in New York about three months ago. And uh, I didn't want to go. Mark talked me into it. And Matt, I can fuck you both. <laughs> and uh, so we went to get this prize, IPC prize or something, I don't know. And we went, and it was. We, I said, we go on the Sunday night, do the, get the prize on the Monday, and fly back on Tuesday morning. So that's what we did. And uh, so we we're late as usual. I'm waiting for Mark and Matt to put on his new dress, new coat, new new fucking Mark to do his hair. And I'm always ready. You know, I'm always ready. And uh, car was late. Then I got indigestion since so I took a pill. And Mark said, "Oh, give me an indigestion pill too." And he looked at it and said, baby, this is a sleeping pill. <laughs> so I, I took a sleeping pill before I got this very prestigious, meaningful prize. <laughs> how was it for you? Uh, Mark I, said it was the best speech you've ever made. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. I mean, uh, it's, uh, what can you do? I mean, all the people were so pretentious before me, you know, they're so meaningful and full of, you know, oh, my art, oh, oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one bloke was a reportage photographer and he photographed some, some riots in Greece and you think he was Don McCullen the way he was going on, you know. It, anyway, that's another story. No, it went kind of good. I called uh, the head of Hearst, Mr Hearst, in fact, who owns all the magazines. I told him he was a schnorrer because they don't pay photographers enough. And the next day his wife phoned me up and asked me to do a portrait of her. So call somebody a schnorrer now and then <laughs> get plenty of work. <laughs> you might surmise from this conversation that you've got more bullish and forthright the older you get. But, I mean, I, I've known you for maybe 15 years or so. You haven't changed at all. I get the feeling you were always like this. When, or, or when like what? Forthright, you said what it was. That you, you, it's easier you, to tell the truth. But was this the case? When you were making it as a young fashion photographer in the early 60s, were you, were you still fairly forthright and undiplomatic? What, did I say I love you when I didn't sometimes? Well, if you want to put it like that, I was thinking more whether you told someone, you know, w w what you thought of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in East End, you learn not to... Uh, you get out of things by joking. I mean, that's the way to... You don't want to get punched. Uh, How does it manifest itself, or does it manifest itself at all, in your photography, your portraits of people in particular, if you don't like the person? Oh, I like everyone. I don't like humanity, because what we're doing to the Earth is awful. You know, another ten parrots went extinct today. Uh, humanity is a mass I don't like, but one-to-one, -one, I quite like one-to-one. -one. I mean, I'd like him at one-to-one, -one or her at one-to-one, -one, but as a mass, oh, <laughs> you're going to get lynched. <laughs> so it's rare that you take a dis... I mean, there are one or two occasions where you've fallen out with someone and said, I'm not photographing you, but rare. No, 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 hardly at all. Just one actor, who was a German actor, I think, in Jules Jim. He was, uh, he was one of the, you know, there was three of them in the film. And he came to the studio and he said, I don't like the music. And I said, oh, I'm awfully sorry. 
it was sort of stones or something, I know, yeah. And uh, I said, what do you want? He said, oh, I'd like some Mozart. I said, well, I doubt if the assistant's got any Mozart on hand. He said, well, anything classical. So, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> and, uh, so I humoured him a bit, and I said, can you sit on that stool? He said, I'm not a model. Oh. <laughs> At least I found out what he wasn't, but I didn't find out what he was. And then he was saying, I, I said, can you look this way? He said, no. Oh, fuck you now. I said, I said, I think you better leave. He said, yeah, I think I'd better. So, um, quite mutual, you know, we're both happy to get rid of each other. And that's the only time in my, oh, that's a nice new picture of Ronnie. The, uh, look at that picture, it's fucking great, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, the Rolling Stones with two twins at his age? <laughs> Talk about great old. Very badly. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, Ron. <laughs> uh, that was taken about three weeks ago. Uh, Which is very much Bailey boxer pinups yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always do the same picture anyway. I just no, but you've worked, in, you work, you've worked in very many different ways or approaches. Colour, yeah. black and white. Some are white out, some are not. And so, Have you become conscious of your own signature style and sometimes want to escape it or do those kind not of Not really, it's, not just, it's just making things simple. I mean, even the, when I used to direct, I directed quite a lot, maybe, I don't know how many commercials, well over a thousand. And I used to uh, take things away. You know, make it less and, make everything less and less and less and less. And that's why so I like the white background because there's no distraction, it's just me and the person. So it's... Uh, it's a way to go, I guess. Where did I mean, it's different. You can't, you can't talk to a tree if you're photographing a tree or a building. So you, have to, you become a different person then. You become much more of an observer. You know, people look at things, but they never see things, do they? I mean, it's about seeing, really. And the art is making something that can't be copied in a way. Because with digital now, you can copy anything. But you can't copy my personality with Ronnie's personality. So that's what makes... And the it's the relationship over. between you and the city, yeah, yeah, of course. I sound like that guy in Cavero that makes the world go round, you know, the bloke with the hair back. Yeah. Good film. Probably one of the best musicals ever made. How many people are here? About, four, about 400 seething humanity. Really? Um, Thank the, God we weren't all caught in the lift together then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, I had some sleeping pills, so we'd be all right. <laughs> Um, the whiteout idea. I, I mean, I, I wrote a piece about you once and said it was it was part of that kind of minimalist aesthetic of the city. Yeah, well, it is, isn't it? It's yeah. But so you were that you 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 admit that that was you were part of that. Well, I didn't. I didn't like. I wasn't mad. Are you looking at Beaton or Avedon or? Oh no, no. My biggest influence was probably Bill Brandt. I thought he was a great photographer or a great artist. I mean, photographer is the wrong word really for. Him. Well, you know, painter's the wrong word. There's lots of bad painters. There's lots of bad photographers, but they all call themselves photographers. I mean, the most ridiculous, fine art photographer. I don't know what that means. Uh, Artists using photography is the other phrase. Well, yeah, but it's, they're using paintbrushes. I mean, Leonardo wrote a, a thing to all the poets saying it was just as good as poetry painting because the poets said, well, you have to use mechanical things like paintbrushes and canvas and pigments. And he said, no, you can be an artist and paint. 
So it's the same old story. I mean, it's all the nonsense anyway. Who cares what it's called as long as, it's, as, long as it does something for somebody? What, what did you make of, um, of, of David Hockney's three-day sitting, the 22-hour kind of almost time, grid of time that each of those uh, people were put through in, in the current exhibition? I mean, he sees it as one work, 83 paintings. I think he's right. I think cut up, it wouldn't be so interesting. It's, it's good that it's a whole... It's the entirety, It's yeah. the entirety of the thing that's fascinating, and it? It's like a... It's a and do you tend to work in series, even if they're not conscious at the beginning? Do you, do you, because that's a very strong, tight body of work. But you're being commissioned here, there, and everywhere. You've no, no, I'm not. Of... I mean, it's not very good being my agent, because if they get me jobs, I won't do them. They won't do things for money in the end. I mean, yes, if I can get some money, I get it. You know, all you lefties complain about the rich. I think the rich are wonderful, because if there'd be no rich, there'd be no bloody art, would there? Not many of my pictures sold in Dagenham. Was that Good. an answer? Another note to our development department <laughs> raising funds. It's like a kind of manifesto on how to do things at the Royal Academy tonight. It, well, it wasn't actually, but if you want to, it's good that you... you, you, you. Um, so, the, um, we talked about Hockney and the kind of the, the, the grid there. Um, and then I said you work in series, but you're also commissioned here, there and everywhere. So, do you find that your series or the way, the, the bodies of work you produce that they somehow coalesce, or are you juggling many balls at many different moments? And if you, you know, well, if you... I think you have to treat things differently. Like I said, the landscape's different from, you know, and I, I like different kinds of photography. You know, I do a book on Delhi, or we just went to the Naga Hills that nearly mm -hmm. killed us. But the, uh, it's a uh, different attitude, they're different pictures. They don't have to be all art. I mean, they can be a picture of a country that doesn't have to page, doesn't have to be an Ansel Adams or whatever you like. Uh, so it's a different attitude to doing a book like that, and I'm doing a book of portraits different again. And then I've actually never done a book on fashion, but I must do it to put some things straight. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you want to put straight? Dates. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the most copyable thing in the world, photography, isn't it? But do you have a problem that you made your initial reputation, so your, you know, your money initially through fashion? Are you, do you have a problem with the hierarchy? Do you want well, to no, I mean, I think even in your season, no, there was a Melvin Bragg thing the other night that said, fashion photographer David Bailey. I mean, fashion's such a... I, stopped, I haven't done a fashion picture since 1980, really. I mean, sometimes I do things for Valentino, but I wouldn't say it was mm. particularly fashion. They're like portraits of people wearing a Valentino dress or suit, whatever. But, but when you started that relationship photographically with Jean Shrimpton in the 60s, they become portraits of, of a sort, don't they? The relationship... Well, I tried to do that with fashion. I tried to make them girls... I never liked the model, the blob and gob model, you know, with the big model bag. I always liked girls... I mean, I liked the old girls, like Jean or Penelope Tree. I liked girls that had a look of them, their, their own look, like Marissa Berenson or... Yeah, I didn't like the, the typical model, you know, that sort of looked silly. And uh, so the, really they were... I tried to make them like portraits of girls wearing nice frocks, really. I mean, Who's made the best portrait of you? Me. <laughs> For sure. And then after you? Uh, I think I come second as well. <laughs> <laughs> Blood out of a stone. Yeah, all right. <laughs> that's my first portrait, Somerset Maud. Well, I thought that's Carlos Acosta. No, you, you, yeah, you blinked. The, one of the portraits we've just seen is the, the single eye, which is Man Ray. That was recently... No, it was Picasso for me. 
Because I always saw, I guess so, there was always, he always painted one eye usually, yeah. didn't he? Or one eye that but it was, one. is off Man Ray, isn't it? Which one? The single eye, the, 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 the profile. Oh, is it? I thought it was more about his nose. Well, let's start from first it? principles. It's an image of part of Man Ray's face that you took in the 60s, but it was recently, you, looking at contact sheets, you recently yeah, um, discovered it or rediscovered it. Yeah, yeah, probably. probably is, is that happening more and more? You're looking yeah, especially at the moment, because we're doing a great big thing for, for uh, Tashin, yeah. yeah. Uh, enormous book, you know. And uh, I actually just took a month to just concentrate on it. But what did Man Ray say when you said, I'm going to focus on your eye? I don't know. I didn't ask him. <laughs> He's quite miserable. I spent two days with him. We did a TV thing, too. I mean, he's a great photographer. Was what? he curious about the images you made of him? No, no, saw... he couldn't care less what I did. He was sort of not in... in fact, he did two of his paintings. You know, he did these kind of... He had two, <laughs> two little canvases, and then he put red on there and green on the other one, and then rubbed them together and said, that's art. Yeah, and uh, the next morning I said to my Italian assistant, where's Man Ray's paintings? He said, oh, I slung them away. I thought they were a load of old rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so I lost about six very nice Man Rays. Anyway, it's the same assistant burnt all my prizes. You know, you used to get yellow pencils, or black pencils were good ones, they were the gold ones. And they were all in the dark room. And I came back from a trip something. I said, where's all my pencils? And he said, oh, I burnt them all. So I thought they were a load of old rubbish. I said, oh, all right. He said, I made some new ones, if you like. It's really, really, typically Italian. And then later he was arrested for selling opium or something, or heroin. <laughs> <You've got to> <laughs> and he's crashed my Range Rover. Not a very good assistant. <laughs> I think the, the journey you've just taken us on uh, uh, leads me to think where next, your journeys. I mean, you, you started travelling in the 60s, but I think Papua New Guinea, 74. I was... started in the 50s in the Air Force because I went to course, Malaya and Singapore. Singapore yeah. Of course, yeah. In fact, that, and was that where the desire to travel really came from? I think it, it did, yeah. Uh, I volunteered anything. I didn't want to be stationed in North London in the Air Force. You know, if I'm going to spend two years in the Air Force, I might as well get something out of it. And I had a great time. I ended up in, mostly in Singapore, a bit Malaya. And it was, it was wonderful. Wonderful. And so, 74, New Guinea, and then a whole series of, of different journeys. You said... I went to Mexico and places like that before that. Yeah, yeah. New York. But you, you said just now that not going to the Naga Hills um, in 2012 nearly killed you. I mean, it was a very long, arduous trip. You said to me when you got back that that was the end of it. And then about six months later, you said, no, I'm going to go somewhere else. I think you mentioned North, North Korea. Korea. Yeah, are sure. you, is, that, is that on the cards? I'm just getting diffi more and more difficult. But are you, have you got another trip planned? I mean, big uh, photographic trip. Not a night in New York on a sleeping pill. Well, there's an island, a Russian island that's in Lapland, isn't it, or somewhere? Or where is it? Finn? I don't know. One of those Nordic places. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm physically... I mean, the Naga Hills book hasn't come out. We've been waiting two years for Darumple to write the bloody thing. <laughs> You couldn't get. You can't get there. You see, it's very, they, they've locked it off again. You can't go there again because I tried to go for about forty years, and they said no. It's on the well, Myanmar border, isn't it? On the well, well, it's corner, sort of north of Burma and south yeah. of China in a yeah. funny sort of way. And it's one of those. I thought it's so romantic. And I, in fact, I had dinner with the prime minister or whatever his governor or prime minister because it's it's part of India now. You know, they sort of nicked it. And uh, 
he, he was he spoke perfect. He'd been to Cambridge. He spoke much, and uh, I tried to get all the gang in to have. But he said no. We have to have breakfast alone together. So I had breakfast with the. And he, he was all right actually. He spoke better English than me, of course. And uh, why am I telling you this story? Because I mentioned the the difficulty of going to Nagaland. Oh no! He sort of once we got there. Oh yeah, I, I said. Uh, he said, you're going to see the insurgents, aren't you? And I said, yeah, how do you know? He said, oh, we know everything you're up to, Mr Bailey. And so they keep a pretty good eye on you. In fact, we had a meeting with the Indian Secret Service in Delhi before we left, and they wanted to send a bodyguard with a gun, and that's the kiss of death. You know, you know you're in trouble then. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want it. He was funny there, the Indian guy, wasn't he? He had a little moustache. He looked like Mr Air India. You know? It was... Uh, I, I love India anyway. Uh, it's every 20 miles, it's a different country. You, you said that it was reading Kipling that mentioned yeah, it was the, Kipling, yeah, yeah. the Naga Hills as, as a boy. Yeah. And you read those explorers, accounts of the explorers, like Richard Burton. Yeah, I love Richard Burton, yeah. Um, do you think there's something anthropological, without getting too high, high fluting, there's something anthropological about the way that you deal with, say, the tribe of artists or the the, the East End that you grew up in. Yeah, for in. sure. They're all tribes. I've yeah, always the, thought they were tribes. Yeah, that relates to the way yeah. that you, you, you yeah, deal yeah. with there's travel. Sort of, there's a fashion tribe, isn't there? And uh, the East End tribe. I was very fond of the East End tribe. You see, I was very lucky. I was lucky. I lived the whole of the, the war in London. We, did, we, did, we weren't evacuated. My mother wouldn't go. She wouldn't uh, be without her children, so to speak. And so I lived, I spent most of the war down the coal shallow, really, with all the light bulb and the... But it's great. I wouldn't have changed anything. I saw, I've got no regrets, no. Not even back with Casso, by the way. Technology. You've, you've worked in black and white. You work in colour. You've used all sorts of different cameras. You've worked with digital, although you've got strong reservations about it, but you still use it. Um, are you no, it's, it's all right for the right job. Yeah. I mean, when we went to Afghanistan, you take digital because you don't want to jump in and out of helicopters with rolls of film and stuff. And x-rays, you know, x-rays are a nightmare now if you yeah. do film. So it depends on the job. I mean, usually we try and take both. At Naga Hills, we took digital and... Mind you, digital wasn't very good because there's no electricity there most of the time. That was a nightmare, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't the bandits. We made friends with them. We made friends with all them. It was the actual... Physical, you know, I went to really photograph the two cultures because there's all the young kids all into kind of South Korean culture. You know, they like, they like that movie Mars, you know, is their life on Mars or the Green Planet. They love all those weird movies and they love all the pop groups. You know, the biggest boy band in the world is actually South Korean. And they all wear suits and they like Mr. Pink and Mr. Yellow. They're all out of a, whatever that director was called. You know, who made all those Tarantino. walking gangsters, yeah. And... Uh, and then you've got headhunters still. I think because it's been closed for so long, it was on, it's like it's been in a time warp because nobody's interfered with anything. And we look for headhunters and finally found, most of them just have uh, buffalo skulls, but we actually found one that had 150 human skulls. But it's a long journey. Each one lives about 250 kil kilometres from each one, so, and the, they're not the greatest roads. <laughs> uh, but they were nice, they were good. That's... But physically, the gland was just, you know, sleeping on the floor and on bits of wood and no food at all. 
Do fact, you... We took tin food in the end, didn't we, Mark? We found a... How do you uh, go about getting access to... Oh, it's to, pretty easy. ...to people? Oh, I make friends with the governments or whatever. But when you're there in very remote places, I mean, is, is, is it transactional? Do you if a charm doesn't work, do you, you yeah. get your wallet out. Yeah, OK. <laughs> and that usually charms them. No, why shouldn't they be paid for... To let me take oh, their picture. You know, I know, you know, you get these very pretentious magnum photographers who say, oh, we never pay anybody. Why, why not? I mean, they're making more money than the poor person you're photographing. I always feel a bit guilty in those places. I never do pictures of... You know, I always hated those fashion pictures where they have models surrounded by poor sort of beggars and things. So it was always, always strange, strange, strange. That's Polaroid. Strange mentality. We've got this new Polaroid now. It's a nightmare. It's called Impossible. They named it wrong. <laughs> which brings us back to technology, which is where that journey began. And you've just... I mean, I was showing you the scanner at the Academy, the Veronica scanner, which is finishing mm. this weekend. But you were scanned, and you immediately were interested in the possibilities technology. Well, we've been trying to do this sculpture with Pandolin for ages now. You know, sometimes I make bronzes and things. And... Uh, in fact, the new ones are going to be Mickey Mouse in the Blitz, but that's another story. But the, uh, we've been working one on the craze. I want to make it like a, a, a black and white photograph, but in, I think we're doing it in silver, weren't we? From, from the box of pinups or from the... Yeah, from the box of pinups. And I don't know which picture it was. And uh, we can't solve the problem. But now, seeing this thing, machine, I think maybe they could make 3D... Because we want to make a 3D image from a 2D... A 2D image into a 3D image, which without, you know, you can do it, you can do it easy now if somebody's there, but they're dead. So I can't dig them up and do them. And uh, I think this would be, uh, this, I think we could solve it. We've been doing it for about three years. It's not working. And why? I mean, why not? But experimentally, so you start with the, the, the reality, you put them, represent them in a two dimensional form, they're now dead, you now want to, a resurrection is probably too, putting it too strongly. What, what's the curiosity to, 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 to them into three Basically, dimensions. just see if we can do it. I mean, it's a bit of fun, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's, he's great anyway. You know Runway, do you? Yes. Yeah. Pangolin, yeah. What a great name he's got. What's his name? Runway. Runway Kingdom, no? Just Kingdom. And he's got a big beard. I mean, he's straight out of Darwin, isn't he? He is, yeah. Um, the the future... Um, <laughs> I haven't got much left. Yeah, is presumably... You, you've got a sense of what it is you want to do, but when, you, when you, you plan the next few weeks, months, are you very systematic? Do you have a sense of what it is you're going to do? Or yes, you and then it all gets destroyed. When something else comes up and you swap. And I'm not very good at going down on one line. I like to sort of go everywhere. So uh, I might get distracted. It's like, that's why I interrupt you when you're talking. Because if I don't say what I'm thinking, I'm going to forget it by the time you're finished talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, like Alden said, it's great to forget things because when you find them, it's so exciting. I agree with him. <laughs> so I forget everything and I have a nice life because I have a double bubble with it because I can sort of think, oh, I forgot that. I, I asked you... A a couple of years ago, after the Portrait Gallery show, 
about reputation. You know, that one of the things that a show like a retrospective of your portraits does is make you consider your place in the grand scheme of things. And of course, you kind of push that to one side. And then when I pushed and I said, how do you want to rem be remembered? You said, as a lover. And I said, and then I said, and then you said, and the serious question, I said, well, how would you like to be remembered? And you said, as a lover. Um, <laughs> two years on, have you given more thought to your reputation? Or is that still definitely, your default position? Definitely. As a lover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, how can you meet, how do you want to be remembered? Everybody remembers you differently, so it's, it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, it is, but that, in that show... I've never had a problem about being remembered. I don't understand why people particularly want to be remembered. Well, I suppose one of the motivations... You won't know about it anyway. No, you won't. But one of the motivations for art is... It's like coming back. If, you, if they say, oh, yeah, we're going to... Because we're all chemical and all whatever we are, mathematical, and you come back again, I don't call that reincarnation. I call reincarnation is knowing that you've been back before. Not knowing. You might have not been here. It doesn't make any difference if you don't know, does it? It's kind of madness. <laughs> Yeah, what I was going to say, but I'm glad you interjected, was that, was that for some people, art is about making your mark, leaving a trace, transcending your life and so on. You, you say that's not a motivation for you? No. I mean, I just... If, 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 if it's art, it's good. If it's documentation, it's good. If people remember, it's good. I mean, that's the most you can expect, I suppose. It doesn't really matter in a way. There's always... There's a... I don't know, really. It's, it's, it's something that I haven't really wasted time thinking about. Uh, just make the most of what we've got. We've only got one go, so we might as well have a good go at it. Uh, hmm. Are you ready to be thrown to the seething mass of humanity for ten minutes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Are there questions from the floor? We, I think we... Do we need a mic? Is it, do, I don't I... know. It depends how loud they can speak. There is a mic. Yeah. A gentleman here. Oh, yeah? The, yeah. Going back to 62, I understand from reading on the internet that you took your 35mm negatives to a lab and you managed to get the same sort of quality resolution as medium formats. Could you just say a little bit about that lab? And you, do you remember? Oh, I don't remember. You don't remember? Uh, okay. uh, um, I mean, what you mean? Print quality? Yeah, because Vogue wanted a certain quality, wanted medium format sort of quality. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's all different. They, Vogue always wanted 10.8 or 5.4 if you did colour. And they wanted absolutely 120 if you did uh, 120, yeah. black and white. So I cheated. I did it on 35mm and then put the negatives in the 10.8 and larger, and so they thought I was doing it on a bigger camera. I see you enlarged them. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they never knew. They just, I think with 35 mil, they didn't like it because they couldn't see them, you know, little pictures. Yeah. So they like to see big pictures. It's, but the resolution was fine. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. not interesting. It's just a technical thing, isn't it? It's sort of yeah. get resolution. You want to muck about with all those different developers, yeah. but it's all about the image in the end. It doesn't matter how you get it. Yeah, I thought there was some sort of magic in the processing. No, <laughs> no, the magic is. Uh, it's good to know you got one over on Vogue. Didn't, haven't you had a long-running dispute about copyright? Oh, yeah, I'm still fighting them. Bunch of snorers. <laughs> I mean, it's not the Vogue people. I like the Vogue people. It's the Vogue management I don't like. All the Vogue people are all my mates, you know. Uh, in fact, the two best fashion editors I ever worked with was Freeland and Grace Coddington, I guess. Diana Freeland. I didn't like working for either of them. Because they're too. I don't like working for f fashion because they're too much. They're all, all about the frock. 
which I suppose it's their job. But it sort of gets boring in a way, you know, that amusing little scene. <laughs> right, next question. You're not very adventurous lot, are you? There's a question here, yeah. Just wanted to know what advice would you give an oh, aspiring, aspiring photographer? What advice would you give an aspiring photographer? I wouldn't be so presumptuous. I mean, you do it yourself. What advice can I give you? Just get out there and do it. But it's a very interesting question, Bailey, because the it world is... is... <laughs> because, because the world has fundamentally changed, which lets you off the hook because it was different in your day. But now, you know, everyone is making photographs. Everyone is taking... So it's, a, it's a, in some ways... It's a, it's they more said different the same landscape. thing in 1899 when they, when they brought out the brand new camera. They said, oh, it's the end of photography because everyone can take pictures. The same thing happened with digital. You know, everyone takes pictures, but that's all they do is take pictures. They don't look at anything. In fact, it's, it's in a way, it's stopping people looking because they don't look at something, they photograph it. So they never look at it themselves, they just take a picture of it. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I don't mind people doing selfies and all that kind of crap. But it's, uh, it's kind of a bit... I, 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 yeah, I remember now. I was in New York with Bruce Weber. We were doing a book on, in Harlem. Not a book, an exhibition on phones, you know, on, on funny little phones. And uh, I forgot what I was going to tell you. <laughs> what were we talking about? No, you, you were with Bruce Weber in Harlem, but you were talking about doing it for yourself or the, the landscape changing. Yeah. But you, some of those were in your National Portrait Gallery show, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, let's go somewhere else. I forgot what I was going to okay. talk about. Well, let me get... I'll think of it in a minute. Look, the, but the world is now... Probably at midnight. People I'll, take... ring, I'll phone you up at midnight. Do that. And also, I'm not going to push you on the advice, but... It's, not, still... it's not Alzheimer's. I've always been fucking stupid about remembering things. <laughs> <laughs> but the world now, you know, we, people take thousands of photographs. Is it what, going back over your contact sheets and having occasionally been photographed by you, what strikes me is how relatively economical you are. So well, you've never been somebody who takes masses of images and then selects. You take a relatively small number, is that right? Yeah, yeah, really a lot. I mean, different with a motor camera because you're looking for something else. But on, uh, you know, like the Joseph Boyce picture that was just up there, I only did two clicks and did each side of a, of a slide. I mean, that's on a... I, use, I, I like using big cameras. It's on a 11-14-inch uh, camera. You know, it takes a negative of 11 inches by 14. Uh, no, it's, I don't see... I, I, like, I don't like taking lots of pictures. I like talking to people and... and uh, I'm five, four... What's the average? We do about 20 pictures. It's usually about 20 clicks. And 10 you, it's usually about six. A, it's so I mean, expensive. in the digital world, you take a load, one takes a load, looks at it and thinks you've got the one you want. Given that you're not looking at the contact sheets, you can't see it, do you have a sense of when you've got it? Yeah. Often wrong, but you do. Uh, yeah, that's when you stop. And when, when you think you've got it, always take some more, because there's always something else you've missed. Uh, it's just common sense, really. It's common sense. Uh, but I like being able to... I don't look through a camera when I take pictures. I look at the person or mm. talk to the person. I mean if you're doing reportages, somebody else. But, you know, there's so many different types, types of what people do in photography. You can't... I wouldn't criticise. I mean, I find landscapes incredibly boring. You know, you can't have an argument with a tree. <laughs> it doesn't have a boyfriend. It doesn't have its periods. I mean, there's no aggravation. It's just waiting for the cloud to be in the right place and making sure you've got a yellow filter or something. So I find that quite boring in a way. I like 
so that's something you can react against. I suppose in a way you react against the tree anyway, but you know, I don't want to be like an ink spot who talks to the trees and they don't listen to me. I have a feeling you could pick an argument successfully with the landscape without any problem whatsoever. Only an oak tree, not, not, a, <laughs> not a weeping willow. <laughs> so it's like getting an oyster open, but we got some advice there. Nice question. Right, um, the gentleman up there. Hi. Uh, why did we have to fly an American photographer in to take a picture of the Queen? Why did we... Have we got no photographers in, in England that can take any pictures? We had to fly Annie Leibovitz in to take a picture of the Queen to memorise something or put on the stamps. It's you've, really insulting for the English. You've taken a picture. To, yeah, I did a picture of the Queen. What? To celebrate the Queen. Well, Bailey's taken a picture of the Queen. Yes, but the pictures that went on the stamps, the, whoever commissioned the pictures flew an American photographer in to celebrate the English heritage. I know, you have to, maybe you should vote someone different, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, maybe, what's wrong with, I mean, Annie's quite a good photographer. <laughs> I don't think it matters to you. I mean... Well, I think the gentleman does, but I, I can't see the Spanish... The Spanish nation up in arms that an Englishman took Dali's photograph. I mean, I know it's more symbolic, but he, he has to... Do you think your photographs of the Queen are um, stamp-worthy? Well, it's on the Canadian stamp. I could sue the Queen because it's my copyright. <laughs> 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 she didn't ask my permission. But, no, the... Uh, no, I, we, we actually didn't do it for her. I did it for number 10. And she saw it and said, can I have it for my 88th birthday? I mean, the will you do it for my 88th birthday rather than just for what, number 10? So that it was a bit complicated. Because they've asked me before to do the Queen, but they said they only give me five minutes. And I said, I can't do it in five minutes. I need half a day or something like that. And then in the end, they said, yeah, OK. But it's, uh, I can't do a picture in... You know, if they give Freud all that time to do a terrible picture of her, at least they give me a bit more time. <laughs> I don't think he got that long. But more than I you. think he had... No, I had a half a day. She was great. She's, she was really terrific. I mean, I'm not monarchist, as you can probably guess, but I've got nothing against them. I think they do a good job. I think she's... Fashion, she works her ass off, that one. <laughs> There's an accolade the Queen's not, <laughs> not had. Obviously, when she visits the Royal Academy on her 250th birthday, that might be something we could put to her. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a couple more questions before we, we finish. There's a, a gentleman there, and then, yeah, and then a, a gentleman at the back there. What's a schnorrer, and where do you get that word from? <laughs> <laughs> well, I could tell you a lot from the East End. It's, uh, it's about... It's... Uh, mm. It's a Jewish It's term. not as bad as being a schmuck. You know what a schmuck is? The bit you sling away when you circumcise somebody. So the biggest thing away is a schmuck. That's why, that's why you call someone a schmuck. I bet lots of people didn't know that. But the schnorrer's not what the schmuck sh is attached schnorrer, to, is it? Schnorrer is like the... <laughs> Got it? <laughs> See, it's good not to be able to use words and to use expressions. <laughs> and the last question... Good evening. Uh, my question goes back to the 60s when you were doing fashion. And you did a shot of uh, Daniela Luna. Who? And 
<laughs> Daniel Luna? Daniel Luna. Yes, yeah, the first black girl on the cover of Vogue. Yeah, I, I didn't realise she was the first black girl. I just yeah, she was. was um, Naomi claimed she was, but she wasn't. It was yeah, ten years know, later. Yeah, I don't know about all that, but I just thought it was um, a Well, you do now. Yeah, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> but what, I was going back to, you were talking about um, that, that photograph, that image. It's fantastic because it captures a character. And you were talking about not being worried about really dresses and all that. Uh, did you have an input into that being the cover on Vogue? Sort of. I sort of did it. Yeah. <laughs> but was it commissioned as a cover image? Well, it didn't work like that. They say, who shall we get? And we all have a... They all, take, they, they all say who their latest. And I just liked her. She was... I didn't think of her as black. I just thought she was tall. She was a Somalian. She was about... Must have been about six foot eight. She looked like a snake. She was just incredible. She died, poor thing, of drug overdose. But she was, uh, she was incredible. I did the first cover in America of Glamour magazine. They didn't talk to me because it was the worst selling cover they'd ever had. So about the same time. But uh, I didn't do it to be the first black. I just liked the girl. I didn't even think about her being black or, or uh, white or pink or whatever. She was just, uh, she was just fantastic incredible creature really she was a creature she was something uh she wasn't real she was like some like antonio the antonia antonia the you know the fashion like something he invented she was just she was too long she wasn't eight heads she was nine heads i mean she was incredible but uh, uh, uh i don't quite understand your story what, what you want to know no I, I just wanted to know that it was you that decided to put that particular image on the cover of Vogue. Oh, I know. Yeah. If I, I don't make the final decision, no, that's made by uh, often visually illiterate people. <laughs> but not in this case. Were you? W did it cause a stir? Yeah. Yeah, they always they worry about sales, aren't they? You know, you put a black girl on the cover, and it doesn't sell. That's the last black girl for five years until they try again. But I think it sold out all right. I did have trouble with Lieberman on that series because the girls were quite sexy inside, Daniel Luna and the other ones. I forget the other girls. One was Morris Swan and one was a California girl. And uh, they were a bit dikey, I suppose, people thought, a bit lesbian-y. And Lieberman was angry. He said, if you ever do pictures, if you ever do lesbian pictures again, you won't work for Condé Nass again. So, fuck him. <laughs> It was all so politically correct until the final <laughs> remark, wasn't it? Actually, he was a good guy. He was a good guy. Lieberman, he was a clever guy. Uh, never had anything on his table. Nothing. I mean, and he always dressed like he was immaculate. You know, he looked like Tom Ford. Uh, before Tom Ford, of course. And uh, he, used to, he used to paint. I remember Jean put her foot in it. He did these painted the circles. We went to his show and she said, oh, they look like you did it with a spray gun. He said, I did. <laughs> <laughs> she thought everything had to be a paintbrush. Did you see Banks' show the other night? That was good. I did. You, it's interesting, you mentioned Tom Ford. You know, he's now a filmmaker. You made films, you made commercials as well, ongoing. So you've worked with The Moving Image. But do you have any desire now to make feature films or documentaries, or is that now finished? No, I would, I would, it's just not time. I, I probably wouldn't get insured, but I'd like to, I'd like to make a kind of film a bit like Charlie Chaplin's uh, 
the boy, it's not called the boy, what's it called, the kid, and um, do a kind of black and white, almost silent movie of my kind of so surreal childhood in the East End, you know, with all the nicking angel wings from churches and things like that, and, and uh, bringing back an incendiary bomb. It's all good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to do that, but a lot of energy making a movie, you know that. You have to be very physically strong. You have to be pretty physically strong to be a photographer too. But it's... Um, are there any photographers here, by the way? Yeah? All women? No, there's mixture. What? Who said he's a woman? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, are there painters here as well? Ooh. Are there? You've got good eyes, you can see in the dark. What do you paint? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I quite liked uh, Dave's pictures of uh, the trees that he did on the iPad. iPad yeah. They were good, weren't they? Uh, but I like... There's one thing Duke Ellington... Not Duke Ellington, was it Duke Ellington? No, Count Basie said. I've always thought it sums up art. They said to him, Mr. Basie, what's art? What's jazz? Which is like saying, what's art? And he said, it's four beats to the bar and no cheating. And I think that's the way I'd live my life. It's four beats to the bar and no cheating. Just take what's in front of you. And it's always there. That's what people don't understand. People say, why are your pictures different? They're not. They're just my pictures. I mean, I don't try and make them different. They're just, it's the way I see things. It's there. If it's, I don't try and make anything that's not there. I mean, it's easy to take pictures. Look, it's there. Look the way you're sitting there with your mouth open and your knees, hands on your knees like that, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> you look like that bloke in Psycho in the end, you know. I? <laughs> <laughs> so everything's there. Look, Dave looks like the Queen, doesn't he? He's got the same expression. The Queen? Yeah, uh, you know. Yes, I do. The know. one I photographed. <laughs> The, uh, it's funny, white hat is really difficult if I'm on with a white hat and top light. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I cropped it. <laughs> we had the perfect ending, four beats to the bar and no cheating, and then you went off on another surrealist train of thought about Psycho, which is a much more appropriate way to end. Psycho? Well, Psycho. So uh, Hitchcock was born two streets from me. Because oh. I was born in North Leighton, and then they changed it in the 60s to make it posh. They used to call it Leightonstone, but it was North Leighton. But we were bombed bombed out, and that's when, when I was about three and a half, and then we moved to East Ham. So really, I only remember three things from Leighton Stone. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> On which note, we really will end it. It's always a surreal journey, and tonight was no exception. It began in a surreal way in the lift, and then it got even more surreal. Then it went downhill. It, not downhill, just there. But it's always a pleasure. Bailey, thank you. Okay, thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.